So we're in week three of our Life Together series. Last week, uh, Lucas did a great job talking about how God sees us. And I think a lot of times it's really hard to um, see ourselves properly if we can't see God properly. And so as Lucas talked about those things about our identity in Christ, our identity in Christ matters secondarily to who is Christ. Because if he's not the head honcho, if he's not the one he says he is, then why would we want our identity in him? He did a great job just breaking that down. And so this week, I want to talk about some things that um, are implicit, that should be embedded in the revelation of people that call Jesus Lord. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. So a couple things that I just notice here is like two things because like alliteration is one of God's gifts to preachers. And one of the things I notice is there's praise and there's prayer. Now, right away, that we have, ever since I heard, I haven't stopped thanking God for you. I praise him for you. I praise God. I bless God for what he's doing inside of you and through you. And one of the things that I can tell you that I, like a lot of people will ask, when you go to, when you meet with other pastors or leaders and stuff like that, it's always like, how many people go to your church? What's your budget? what kind of programs do you have? And it's like, just to me, I'm just like, I'm so sick of that stuff. And like the comparison game. And I'll tell you the thing that I'm most proud of as a pastor has nothing to do with me. Has nothing to do with my ability to draw people or to be clever or to manufacture something or how much money's in the coffer. But I love the fact, the two things that I praise God the most for is that a couple years ago, we had four or five small groups. Now we got 17 house groups. Yeah. That of those of you who responded, about 70% of people are in those. An amazing national average is 50%. So I praise God for that, that people are receiving the pastoral care that you can't give up here in a house group. In a house group, you can do things that you can't do from stage. Like I can't know everyone's needs. I can't go visit everyone in the middle of the day. There's things that like, you know, we can have amazing worship and it was off the chain today, but there's only, we're limited in those things. But when all of you take the, everybody gets to play seriously, praise God. Because that's what Paul's saying. Like, I praise God, all of you are doing this stuff. I praise God, it's not about me, the super apostle with the eloquence of heaven, with the erudite learning, with the degrees, with this and that. I praise God for all of you, your faith. I praise God for that. I praise God for that. And then the other thing he says, and I pray for you constantly. You know what else I'm stoked about? That we got about 20 to 30 people every week that come at 5 a.m. between 5 and 7, either on Zoom or else in person, and pray their guts out on flow prayer. I'm so thankful for the 15 to 20 people every morning at 6.30 that get on prayer because you know what? That's what makes the engine turn. It's not the money. It's not the amount of people. Those that pray, a small group of people that pray can outpace, can outlast, can outboom a big group of people that just show up for the show. 
And so the thing I'm most excited about are the amount of people that are doing the stuff, that are doing life, that are obeying Jesus, because Jesus tells us to not forsake the assembly. And we saw what Jesus, if we want to do what Jesus did, we do what Jesus did by doing life together with other people just like he did it. So that's what makes me praise God. Because I don't, we don't need some big sexy lipstick on a pig kind of church. If we have it, great. But man, what I want to be is a powerful group of people. And, and power always comes from prayer, from praise, and ultimately obedience to Jesus. Those are the things that I praise God for. And so are our lives marked by prayer and by praise? Like Paul says here when he opens up. Because I think one of the things is it's very easy to be a glass half empty person or to be the, the spiritual Eeyore or to be Debbie Downer. What do you want to call it? Like, I don't know why it's a Debbie or a Downer, but for those of you named Debbie, I apologize, but you guys know what I'm talking about. So, uh, but it's just that person who's just sad. I'm not saying we're not going to have sorrow, we're not going to have trouble, but one of the things that should be a hallmark of born again people is joy. Joy is, joy is not something that comes from the outside in. It's something that comes from the inside out, that when Jesus' spirit resides in us, that we have reasons to rejoice, that we have reasons to praise. And I can find a lot of things in life to be ungrateful for. A lot of them, right? Can't we all? I'm not some special case. Some of you are more special of a case, that your life's just felt like a curse or a blight, and things are hard. Some of you are carrying physical, spiritual, emotional, familial maladies that are just like, if you knew my life, if you knew my God, you wouldn't like say that your life is an un, un, unredeemable, irredeemable, ir, un, unfixable thing. Are our lives full of praise? Or are they full of whining and complaining? Because complaint is a sin. God left the children of Israel in the desert for that long for nothing else, if you can trace it, to complaint about what he wasn't doing, about what he didn't do, about what everyone else had. Comparisons and complaints are dangerous places to be. Coveting is a dangerous place to be. Because what they do is they turn our eyes inward. They turn our eyes inward and we miss what God's doing on the periphery or what he wants to do inside of us. So if you're someone who's prone to complaining, whining, arguing, grumbling, pissing, moaning, however you want to phrase it, I think like, like my old boss Otto Liske used to say, he'd say, Ryan, you need some more gratitude in your attitude. I remember one day we were carrying in 400 sheets of drywall. Can you say 400? We didn't have a lift we didn't have the Hulk. We just had a bunch of little short guys like me carrying these drywalls with our fingertips because, you know, I got arms, arms like an alligator. And, and we're all just carrying this drywall, and it's 400, and we were complaining. And he pulled us aside and said, I need you guys to shut up. And I need more gratitude and gratitude. You guys are born again. Stop it. No one's making you do this. If you want to quit, go home but this looks bad to the customer and it looks even worse than the bo to the boss in heaven. Shut up and change your attitude. And I think some of today just, we need to shut up and change our attitude. 
Is, our, is your life marked by praise and prayer? Because we see here, it's very important. Paul starts off, he thanks him. And he could have he blasted. You know, we could walk in anywhere and blast people. We can blast ourselves, but what, what if we just thank God first? It started changing my life where a lot of times I just go to the cross in the morning and just feeling like a big, you know, pile of you know what and just confessing and repenting. And God's just like, why, why don't you tell me who I am first? And it's amazing when I saw him first and saw me second, it started changing how I saw me and it started changing how I saw other people because I saw who he was and then I saw like the potential, not the despair. Not the hopelessness, like, here I am again, God, it's sinful me. How do you see God? Shapes how you see yourself. So Paul says, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord, your love for God's people everywhere, would, if people talked about your life from afar, would they say, yeah, Lisa loves Jesus, Scott loves Jesus, Jerry loves Jesus. They love people everywhere. They are ridiculous lovers of people. Is that what people would say about us? As Christians, I hope so. And I know it's not always the case. We're all not batting a thousand. But would, you, would people say of us, that person loves at a different clip than most other people do? Would your neighbor say you're the best neighbor? Would the neighbor say that you don't complain when things don't go your way? When there's a blade of grass or a little doggy mess, do you go out there and do, like chide people or do you just overlook it? Love overlooks a multitude of offenses. <clears throat> it doesn't build taller fences. It doesn't build offenses, defenses. Love overlooks them. Love rips them down, in fact. Because God's love breaks the barrier to us our love to other people should break the barrier to them. In this world, we are like him. <clears throat> and we're God's beloved children. And it's, it's important that we understand who he is. It's important we understand who we are. Our identity in Christ is that, as Lucas' song, that like, if Christ lives in us, like we're risen with him. Is our life a step above what it was before we knew Jesus? Is it a step above what it was before we gave our life to Christ? Or maybe you're in here today, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, there's potential for you for your life to be something different than it was when you walked in here. Because all the gospel is, is just someone sharing a good spiritual TED talk and some songs on a Sunday. Like, no wonder the world's not watching or listening. No wonder they've tuned it out. If our best move is just coming to hear something, no, it's something we tell. It's something we live. It's something that impacts us. I think AA, MHS, Celebrate Recovery, these things are so overlooked and they're so needed. And I love the power of these groups of men's healthy sexuality, like I said, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, whatever it is, that people share their story they share their story. They share what they once were and now that they're not. And it's, this, it's the power of testimony. That's why we want to share testimonies because it, it should go out everywhere. I hear of your, God, of your love for people everywhere. They weren't just sitting on a bowl. These Ephesian Christians were not just Christians at their gathering. The rest of the week, their love echoed out from Ephesus. So praise and prayer 
equal power. If you're wondering, maybe I don't have the power to overcome certain things in my life. Maybe you're in one of those groups I just mentioned. You're like, I'm stuck. Well, a lot of times we're ne- we want the power. We'll never get to the power until we get to the praise and the prayer. If you're stuck in sin and you're like, I can't overcome this eating habit, this anger addiction, I can't overcome this work issue, or maybe I can't get a job, or maybe I lie all the time, or maybe I'm nervous, get to prayer. I can't, we can't say it enough. I love that there's 20, 30 people there, but man, we should have way more people there. Not just should, we get to. And that's the power of breakthrough. People that are on their faces go to different places than the people that just like kind of hope for more. The only way through this is God's power. And God lends his power to the people who proclaim their need for him. He says his strengths made purpose, made, made perfect in our weakness. So I encourage you, get to prayer. If you can't come the whole time, jump in for a few minutes, see what it does to your faith to see other people, to see other people. I can't tell you enough. I can't talk about these things enough. You might be like, shut up. Like I said, till everyone's doing them, I won't. Because that's, that's the move. A lot of our lives lack power because we lack prayer and we lack praise. Very simple stuff. It's all based in choice, right? I can choose to pray. I can choose to praise. I can choose to stay on my phone or maybe put it down for 10 minutes and just instead of looking what everyone else is thankful for, or what everyone else is miserable about, like in the news, or everything I should be afraid of, and say, God, that stuff that scares the crap out of me, would you come? Would you just bring me relief? Would you bring healing? Lord, would you do this thing like in Uzbekistan? Lord, would you do this thing uh, like in Venezuela? Would you do this thing in my neighborhood? I'm tired of worrying about it. I want to start giving it to you. Or God, I want to praise you. Life is hard, but I know you're good in the middle of it. And I can't see a way out of this, but I know you're with me. What if we just gave him that? Like, what would that do if instead of 20 or 30 people gathering to pray, what if it says 120 people prayed and the house was shook? So we're only maybe 15 to 20% there. We feel little rumblings, but we want a shaking. We want a church that shakes things. We want a church of power, so we gotta be a church of praise and a church of prayer. And John Stott, who's, uh, you heard Lucas um, just kind of have like a man crush on him last week. I do too. He's a great writer, biblical commentator, disciple-making ninja who's now in heaven doing all the praising and praying that anyone could imagine in front of the fullness of power. He says, doing these things help us keep our spiritual equilibrium. Praise and prayer are so necessary because they keep us in equilibrium. They keep our minds and our hearts centered on heaven. See, we do these things because Jesus is the one. He gave us two eyes. He gave us two ears. And we can look at him and hear about him in different angles, but it should always land back on him. We talked about trifecta last year, all the different trifectas. And I think one of the missing trifectas of healthy churches is our praise, prayer, and power, but a lot of us want to jump to power without praise or prayer. And I think that um, I, I want to ask a question: What would be different in your life? 
or my life if it was marked by praise and prayer and power? Well, first of all, to get to the power, we see it comes from the praise and the prayer. God will throw us ropes every now and then. He'll do that. But Jesus doesn't just want to leave us in the water. Right? Remember, if you were here a couple months ago, I talked about his arms not too short to save. So he doesn't just pull us out of the water and leave us there. That's, that's some power to pull us out, right? So his arm's not short. His arm is a, like a Hebrew idiom for his power. It's his power to pull us out of the raging torrent. But the, the, the difference, the add-on, is that he puts new breath into us that allow us to breathe out prayer instead of sarcasm, instead of sin, instead of filth, instead of self, instead of whining, instead of bitterness. It allows us to breathe out his life. So we cough out that old water, pulls us out, and then what starts coming is the new breath of heaven, which sounds like praise, which sounds like prayer, which sounds like love. And I think it's impossible to truly be in Christ without these things being in our lives. So if you're taking a look under the hood and you're being honest today and you're like, my life doesn't look like that. Well, maybe you signed up for this thing a long time ago. Maybe you come to church every week or some weeks or maybe when you feel like it. If your life's not marked by passion for Jesus, receive prayer today. Receive prayer today. Prayer does something because Jesus says that the humble are exalted. The most humble thing you could ever do is pray. The posture of prayer continually says, I need you. Continually says, you're the one. Continually says, I look to you. Continually says, this is yours. Continually says, like, what do I do next? Prayer is the most humble thing any of us could ever do. That's why he says to pray without ceasing to be joyful always, to give thanks in all situations. It takes prayer to be thankful, and it takes prayer to keep our focus on joy. And then there we find power. There we find praise. There we find his presence. There we find all we need. So these things might sound, well, so redundant. If, if you're doing these things, what I'm talking about is not redundant. This stuff is redundant to you if you don't give a rip about prayer or you don't think it goes as far as I say because I've never met a person that's into prayer that doesn't want to hear another sermon on prayer. Let's just call it like that. If, you, if Jesus, if you can only have as much of him as you limit yourself to, I've never met a person who is regularly on the face that just says, stop talking about the important stuff. I never met a carnivore that says, don't give me any more steak. People that are ravenous for the kingdom want more prayer. People that are ravenous for the life of God, for growth, change, and healing can't get enough of the word. People that want that walk with a posture of conviction. If you're never convicted, check your heart. Because God wants to speak to us, and it's not to shame us. It's actually to draw us closer because our sin's a barrier. Our sin creates barriers. And the only way to receive the power to grow, change, and heal is through praise and through prayer. And sometimes we're not where we want to be yet. 
Maybe we're still 100 pounds off, or maybe we haven't given up the porn or the booze, or maybe we're still in a busted relationship, or maybe we're still working for a boss that's the pits, or we have lousy employees, or our money's still running dry. Sometimes, like, God, I thank you. I thank you of all I need in Christ. I thank you that you're a God who does exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. I thank you that all your promises are yes and amen. And I thank you that the God who blessed me and kept me yesterday is going to keep me today. Lord, I surrender my bills to you. I surrender my wife to you, my husband, my kid who's far off. I surrender these things to you because I know you care about them and you care about me more than I do. And you might have to say that a million times before that thing becomes real in your heart, but you plant that seed by saying it, and then you water it by each time you say it, and then you water it more by each time you think it, and then when you confess it, all of a sudden there's a garden in front of you, and you look back, you're like, how did I get here? You got here by a life of prayer, not burning out, just trying to do it by yourself. And that's what Paul praises them for. And I think people who have never walked in the spirit or had a life of prayer, as Paul describes it, I think they're either misinformed, uninformed, or need reformed. It's okay if you don't like to do this stuff. It's okay if you think this is stupid or if you think this is elementary or if you just think like this is redundant. But like I said, let's not be uninformed or misinformed or, or need reformed. It's as simple as like, Lord, I catch it. I'll try it. I'll try it. Because we're not seeing dead people raised. We're not seeing miracles and rashes. And we're not seeing thousands of people come to the kingdom. So that tells me we got some work to do. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And this church has grown up so much in Christ the last couple of years. Last three years, this church's been tested and been through it and been through COVID and been through changes and been through a cultural tidal wave and been through transitions and we're growing up in Christ. But thank God we're for where we've come, but there's still lots to do. There's still lots to do. One of my favorite verses has been, <clears throat> the last couple of years has been, I pray you'd receive a spirit of, revelation, of wisdom and revelation so you might grow in your knowledge of God, Ephesians 1.17. Wisdom we see in Proverbs very early on that above all else, it's what we're supposed to crave. Wisdom is referred to often, a lot of times people would call it the spirit of Jesus. The wisdom and revelation is the spirit of Jesus. And he says, I pray you would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom helps us to know what to do. Really, there's only two ways to get wisdom from where I stand. One is knowledge is learning from my own mistakes and wisdom's learning from yours. Or we get wisdom from God. I really believe that's the only way that we can get wisdom is by observing from an outside source that God puts something into us, that people who are great lookers, people who are great perceivers are people who can be of wisdom because of what they catch from the outside and then synthesizes back in. Like wisdom is an outside thing that God gives to us. It's to the, those who observe. Jesus says like those who observe closely. People are noticers. So it's always talk about hearing God so much is because that's how we gain wisdom and that you would have wisdom and revelation. Revelation helps us to see new things or new perspectives. 
or to understand or to get discernment or to get breakthrough or to get strategy. Those are the things that we should covet and that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. And Paul says, I pray you would have it. I love this part of uh, Ephesians is just a big prayer. And, and I believe that we talked about, if you want to be a more wise person, hang out with wise people. And wise people are always willing to learn from others', others mistakes or willing to just hear from heaven. The wisest people you can ever meet are people that walk in this, that know this. You want to be a wise person? Jesus says, the wise builder hears these words of mine, receives. They receive revelation from it. They internalize it. They chew on it. They go back to it day after day after day. <clears throat> and, you know, I've, I've uh, tried the last many, many years to just try to read through this every year. And I've not done it every year of my life. I've been born again for 32 years now. I've probably read through the Bible 15 times, which I should do a lot more than that. But I've found like the more consistently that I've read it, the more I want to read it. But I can also say in the last 32 years, I don't uh, like regret any of the days that I read it, but I do regret the days that I didn't. Be hungry for this. You don't have to be a pastor or a preacher. But God is going to ask you, what did you do with what he gave you? And if we don't have wisdom and revelation, sometimes we don't even know what he's given us. Sometimes we're in hard stuff, and God might be at the base of it. And he's just saying, hey, this isn't to your end. This is actually to your beginning. Like, suffering isn't against God's will. Sometimes our challenges, our trials, our tribulations are not just the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sometimes God's letting things or maybe even moving things to go on in our lives because he wants to prepare us for a next thing or he wants to break us of an old thing so we can fit into the new things that he has for us. And so we live in a culture obsessed with knowledge. I think a heavenly culture is obsessed with wisdom a spirit of wisdom and revelation, because if wisdom is Jesus, we're called to be obsessed with Jesus. And Paul says, I pray, I pray that you'd have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The book of James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask. The Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you wherever you are today? You might be the most wrecked life. You might be a murderer. You might be a pedophile. You might be a divorcee. You might be an adulterer. You might be a liar, a swindler, an embezzler. You might be the most wayward person. You might be demon-possessed or demonized. Do you know God wants to talk to you today? Wherever you are, God loves you and he wants to meet you wherever you are today. And his spirit wants to saturate you and give you wisdom and revelation to draw you to his heart. And the people that have hurt you the most that are maybe all those things, maybe you're not, God loves them too. So what would he say to you about them? What would he say how you relate to a world that's hurt you? Can you give it praise or do you complain? Do you live in fear, stuck in feet and meters of like spiritual and maybe hoarding isolation or do you say, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be, I'm not given a spirit of fear, but a power of love, self-control of a sound mind, of wisdom. I have revelation about these things where I'm missing it and I'm gonna step into it now. Is Jesus your magnificent obsession? 
Is Jesus your magnificent obsession? And I ask myself that all the time. Jesus, are you everything to me? What are you worth to me? How far will I go for this thing? Because maybe some of you are like, God, I've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus might look at you and love you like he did in the book of Mark and say, okay, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. Sorry, book of Luke. Sell everything you have and come follow me. How far are you willing to go for Jesus? Because it takes more than human mind. It takes more than rationalistic abilities. It takes more than Aristotelian thought. It takes more than the logical syllogism. It takes more than the foundries of law and justice to be able to discern spiritual things. And Jesus says, I didn't give these to the learning. I gave them to children. I say, well, I'm pretty learned and I'm pretty old. No, he means the people who will receive it like a child say, I will take this in faith and believe this is better than what I can pull off on my own. I believe this is better than what Kant says or Don or better than what Whitfield. It's better than what all these people can conjure, imagine, cook up. I believe that you are better and you're different. And if you want to go any further, there are people the world over Um, apart from spiritual minds, can't figure out the Sermon on the Mount, but they all still talk about it. Because the wisest mind that there ever was was Jesus. Jesus even said, the wisest person there was Solomon. And he says, and now one greater than Solomon's here. And you didn't recognize it. Why? Because we didn't have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. See, a spirit of wisdom, you might not be wise at all. You might be the dumbest cat in the room. But if you get a spirit of wisdom, all of a sudden God starts pointing you to what wisdom is. And all of a sudden you get smarter than your IQ is. Or you get brighter than what your family said. Or you advance beyond your degree because you're tapping into heaven stuff. And God's always way ahead of the curve. That's just how it works. See, so God doesn't care what you are or what you're not. In him, it's unlimited what he can do through us. And Paul said, I praise God for that. And I praise God that I serve a God that isn't limited to my family's past, to my choices, to my limitations, to my brokenness, to my whatever. He's not limited to. He says, if you just trust me, watch what I do. Watch what I can and want to and will do through your life if you'll just let me have it. If you'll just praise me, if you'll just seek me, the power is unlimited. I don't need you, but I want you. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people who are rich in his glorious inheritance. All this stuff builds up to this climax. Do you know we have an inheritance in Christ? I know so much of our culture, and it's wildly unpopular to say, like, heaven doesn't mention retirement very much. And most of us are obsessed with it. We teach people to be obsessed with it when they're like 18. Like, oh, just, like, Jesus says, like, we're like, build bigger barns, build bigger barns, bigger, and Jesus, like, you fool, this very light, this very night, your life's demanded of you. And a lot of times the one who waits till the 11th hour to pursue spiritual things dies at 1030 and they just die with big barns that they never got to enjoy. 
And not saying there's anything wrong with big barns, but God says that the labor builds in vain unless they build on the Lord, unless they build in the Lord. And so a lot of us are working towards this thing, cranking it out, churning it out, saving it up, doing it up. And then we're like, well, we'll slow down the good life then. Then we'll serve. Then we'll get involved in our church. Then we'll give money because we'll have it. And God says, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. like I said a couple weeks ago, the kingdom of heaven does not run out in front of us. It does not run out in front of you. The kingdom of heaven runs parallel. So Hebrews 3.15 says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because it doesn't just run in front of us, it runs next to us. And when God speaks to us today, it's time to jump into the stream now because his arms reaching to pull us out of the life we're in. Whatever that phase, if it's a mess or it's a misconception or if it's a blank misunderstanding, The arm of the Lord's not too short to save, but he says, come now into the stream and watch what I do. I'm not against your retirement. I'm against your obsession of it. I'm not against you wanting this thing for your life, but I'm against what it's doing to you at the expense of every other relationship. A lot of us will miss out on our inheritance because we want it now, just like the prodigal son. We want to do it our way. We want to take the inheritance and have it now. Or maybe some of us are just so flatlined, you've never had a buck. You're like, I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, and I still don't have two pennies to rub together. Maybe you had an inheritance, someone robbed. I know my wife's family years ago, my wife's, um, my wife's grandpa, good old Kentucky boy, he had amassed a fortune, and uh, he just made some really stupid choices. Made some really stupid choices that a lot of people weren't aware of. And it was always kind of these promises, the expectations that when Papa went, everyone was going to be hunky-dory. Well, we didn't know the stupid things he invested in. We also didn't know the even worse people he invested in. And there was a woman that he met the last couple years of his life and just seemed like she just wanted to care for him and love him and treat him. And, but what it just turns out, we don't even know if he died because of how he died. There's a lot of speculation that it wasn't, but this person came in and basically changed everything and got everything signed over to her and stole the family's inheritance. And it was heartbreak city on that side of the family. Heartbreak city. One, because it doesn't seem like Papa died of natural causes, and two, because like an inheritance was robbed. Do you know with Jesus, do you know the inheritance that he has for you could never be robbed? And a lot of us are living more for the things of this life. And then we miss out on the real inheritance of the life of the age to come. And do you know that he doesn't just have heaven, some abstract thing now? It's like something, we get to start living in that inheritance now as God's kids. It's not contingent on how long someone lives, how much someone can save, or how good of an investor someone was or wasn't. It's that Jesus says, I have an inheritance for you that will never spoil And one of the most fundamental differences of Christianity versus other faith is all God says that you have to do. If you want me, this is all yours. If you'll just receive me, it's all yours because I want you. A lot of the other faiths are like, well, if we treat Allah good enough or we go after Krishna enough or we do these things or if the karma is just right or if the moon and stars and all this stuff like align, maybe we'll get it. Jesus says, just receive me, it's yours. Just stay in me, keep in step with me. I'll start giving it to you now, and I'll start giving it to you not yet what 
the things to come. I'll give you the wisdom of revelation and wisdom and I'll give you friendship and I'll give you depth. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you everything you need right now for godliness for now and for the age to come. He's making our, like what deposits are we trusting for this stuff? And when we have lives of praise and prayer and that start walking in his power, that's the stuff that receives an imperishable, imperishable inheritance. says this in verse 19. He says, I pray also you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor in God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He is now far above any ruler or authority or power, leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Do you know it's going to work out Okay. The world is being filled up with people that can't be matched. There's evil all over the place. It looks worse than ever. It is. Jesus says, if they do this stuff while I'm here, what are they going to do when I'm not here? But do you know that God pulls it off in the end? That doesn't mean we're supposed to go hide and buy a generator and buy a bunch of MREs or whatever and just go hide out in the hill somewhere until he comes back. We have work to do now because we're the salt of the earth. And we start populating this world with people, with praise, with prayers, with ideas, with new things, with new ways of living, because we're prototypes of the age to come. And we start showing the world a different thing of what we're movie trailers, the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus pulls it off in the end. You can lose your head, you can lose your life, you can lose your spouse, you can lose your, your limbs, you can lose your reputation over this stuff. And God says, trust me, I got you. This inheritance won't fade because I will overcome it. Do you believe Jesus will overcome it? And if so, are you believing and living in such a way that has overcoming life right now? The answer is hopefully yes and no, right? Yes, I believe it. Yes, I'm trying, but no, I'm not always the best at it. Because welcome to the club that all of us could have founded. We're never going to arrive till we get there, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty basic, Ryan. Yeah, but until we get there, we're, we're never going to fully make it. We're never going to fully get it. We all stumble in many ways. We all need his help. That's why prayer is so foundational because every minute, like Jesus, apart from you, I'm sunk. I don't know how to treat people. I don't know how to treat myself. I don't know how to treat you. I don't know how to treat my dog. I don't know how to treat the neighbor. I don't know how to treat my car. I, I don't know how to do anything apart from you, Lord. But he wants us to get there worse than we want us to get there. And do you know when Christ appears, we'll be with him in body. Do you know one day you might not like the body you have? You might have a lot of limitations, a lot of disabilities. Do you know in heaven we get a new body? And no one's limping. No one's shorter, taller. The only one that looks great is Jesus. But we all get a new body. Some of you will be like, yeah, I like what I have. Well, you'll get a new one too. And it'll be better than the one you like or the one you built. And the last couple verses say, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him have over all things for the benefit of the church. 
And the church is his body. He made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Do you believe in Jesus' authority and ability and power to pull off what he wants to do with your life? Because as that song said, every knee will bow. And you might not know why you're here. Like, I ain't gonna bow. Well, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And if surrender is a hard thing for you, just pray for a spirit of revelation and wisdom and let God breathe life on that. Because he wants to show you why that's hard. He wants to show you the pain or the pride or whatever it is that bends us that way. Wherever we're, we're lacking, he'll fill up all we lack, it says. Jesus is over everything. So just this week, as you're thinking about it, and as we're gonna enter into a time of prayer, where, where do you need more praise in your life? Where do you need to pray more? Maybe you're dishonest. It, it says, if any of you doesn't have, you don't have because you don't ask. Maybe you're just honest. Like, I don't really want to pray. I don't want to do this stuff. It sounds boring. It sounds religious. It sounds like a waste of my life. This sounds stupid, or this didn't work for me in the past. Whatever your reason is, today, maybe you don't have because you don't ask. Maybe you're lacking power in your life to overcome. Maybe it just... Though the thing God's given you may be more than your damnation, it's your deliverance. And it's the thing God's gonna use you if you'll learn how to pray through it. That's the thing that'll add power to your life. Because he gives us overcoming life, but he also gives us more life as we overcome. And we saw in Revelation 12, 11, the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. In Hebrews three fifteen, when you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. What's God saying to you? So Lord, would you give us revelation and wisdom today? Would you speak to us? Would you move us, Lord? Would you shape in our hearts to look like Jesus? Would you cause a move of God? Would you raise up, Lord, 90 more intercessors, 100 more intercessors, people that'll just say yes to your purpose, however old you are, however young you are. Would, Lord, would you just give us lives to say yes to you? We wanna see a move of God. We wanna be a church of praise, of prayer, and of power. Lord, would you speak to us this week? Would you help us to be honest with what you're doing? Help us to not be ashamed. You come, Holy Spirit, on this place. Would you just provide us whatever we need, if it's conviction, if it's joy, if it's hope, if it's purpose, if it's friendship, if it's restoration, if it's healing, Lord, would you do it today? Prayer teams, if you'll come down, if any of those things just spoke to you, if anything I said you just hit, just receive prayer and watch what God does. Flood the aisles. Do whatever he's telling you. But don't leave today without having an opportunity to praise him, to pray to him, and to receive his power in your life. In Jesus' name.